Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. I just wonder if you would just put your hands together to give a warm welcome to those that are new to our community. Thank you so much. Uh, I know there are so many other places you could have been on a Sunday morning, not least um, still under your your duvet um, because it was like a torrential downpour uh, this morning on the way to Ramp Church. So uh, I I do, I'm of course a little biased, but I think you made the right decision uh, today to be here, and it's not just because the coffee's decent and the conversation's good, but it's because I, I think that the creator of the universe has something to say to you today, and maybe that sounds like a bold claim to you, but um, scripture is clear that um, before a single day of your life came to pass, every day, the psalmist says, was written down in a book. And you may not know where you're going in life. You may not can connect the dots of where you've come from. Um, but there is a God who can. And he knows, he knows where you're going. And you go, well, why, why doesn't he reveal it already? Uh, because he's not, he's not a treasure map that we discover. And then we can live our lives pursuing a treasure map. He's a person. And just as any other person, you get to know him. You get to understand what's his value system. And as you get to know him more, you become like him. And when you become like him, then with the the help of his spirit, you're able to do the things that he can do. And then at the end of all things, everything that's been lost, everything that's been destroyed, uh, justice will be seen. That's the hope. Of Christianity. So if you leave with nothing else today, here's, here's my, this is my belief for you, is that you're going to leave with hope. And if you've ever been in a hopeless situation, I, I think the numbers in this room would say statistically there are people in this room in a hopeless situation. If you've been there, you know how radical just a seed of hope can be. You know what it means to have a little flicker of a pilot light, a little flame in your heart where you start to believe again. And I want to tell you, you're in an atmosphere uh, where there's a community of faith that have been praying for you, um, even though they've never met you before. They've been praying for you. They've been preparing this space and their own hearts because they believe that God wants to light that pilot light of hope in your heart today. Anybody believe that? Anybody believe that? Come on, Ramp Church. Hope is the anchor of your soul today. But I'm I'm actually not speaking on hope. I'm going to be speaking on worship today. Worship. And um, yeah, yeah. I have, um, in preparation for this message, I look back to look at my other messages on worship. And um, Ramp Church, we just passed our four-year birthday. Yay, happy birthday, us. And yeah, and I've only spoken on worship once in four years. 
And so I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm really excited to speak on that. We, we speak a lot on prayer. And I know that sounds like a really Christian-y thing to, to speak on, worship. Wow. That sounds really fascinating. Um, not sure how that's going to apply to my Monday through Saturday. But I think you're going to be surprised uh, because part of my desire is, is to actually reveal to you um, how, in fact, ubiquitous worship is in our lives. And whether you're a person of faith or not, and it's because you're created to worship. Um, and then, then I want to discuss what does it look like to actually be intentional about our life of worship and what does that do for us in our lives. Anybody up for that journey? Yeah, yeah, me too. So um, to get us, get us started, it's, it's so easy, I have found, maybe it's just me, but it's so easy to lose the plot of life, lose the storyline, the big picture. Um, I have three kids, and um, so half of my life is actually a taxi service, <laughs> taxiing my children from one location to another location. Any parents in the house, can I get a witness? So um, they don't have to book on an Uber app. In fact, I don't get paid. <laughs> um, I pay to taxi them around is actually what happens. So half of my life is spent as a taxi service um, and paying bills and working and it's just, life just goes on from one day to the next, right? If there's anything that is sure in life, it is that Monday will come again. <laughs> and it's, it's easy. It's hard to remember the story, and it's easy to lose the plot of where, what is all of this about. And one of my hopes, this is, this is one of my desires for this space, one of my visions for Ramp Church is that whatever your life has looked like before coming here, and whatever your week has looked like before you stepped foot in this place, when you come in here, this place, even the atmosphere, works like a centering agent in your heart. Where you may not have all the answers, but you find your sense of balance. All of a sudden, you're reminded that the center of not just my story, but humanity's story and all of creation is, is, not, is not a mathematical equation that I can figure out. It's centered around a person called Jesus. And that person has a nature. He has intentions. He's not indifferent towards you today. He's not a law that, like gravity, that if I do the right thing, I'm going to get the right result. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. This isn't, this isn't primarily a religious experience. It's, it's not a code of principles that you adopt and then you live the good life. It's a person that you, that you reorient your life and your affections and your pursuits and your aspirations around. Does that make sense? For some of us, this is already challenging because I, I thought... I thought I was coming to hear an inspiring word about faith, right? About, ah, but I just want my heart just to be enlivened with good thoughts. And there's something about that. Sure, there's a power in positive thinking. But there are some things that positive thinking can't get you through. 
There's sometimes I just can't gird my mind up enough. I, I can only tell myself how good this day is going to be so many times in the mirror before I leave for work. And 10 o'clock rolls around and I forget all of that stuff. That's not, that's not what this is. It's not a brainwashing session. Are you with me? What it is, it's about reorienting our life around a person, a person called Jesus, who is the perfect image of God. And he has a very real love and compassion for you. And that love fuels his words to you and it fuels his actions. And my vision, again, for this space is that when you come into this space, you're reminded of this big picture story and it pulls you out of the, the all-encompassing, I can't get past just the futility of life or the, the weight of circumstances. It pulls you out of that story and it reminds you there is a God. He created the universe. He's going to tie all this up in the end and he knows my name and he has a plan. That reality changes everything. When you encounter that God, everything else is different. I'm still a parent. I still have three kids. But it's different. Why? Because my life is now reoriented around a different center point. You think about it like our solar system. There's an orbit that every planet falls into naturally. I don't have to think about that orbit. I just, I just make sure I'm in the right solar system. And that's what this is. My desire is that when you come in here, the gravitational force of the God who knows your name draws you closer. And the result of that is a life lived in nearness to God and in the fulfillment of having a spirit that's alive. To get a bit more specific, and we see this story in Scripture... One of the storylines that's, that's going through scripture, and hang on with me here for a minute because I'm going somewhere in, in our topic of worship. One of the storylines we see through scripture is God's desire and his activity in meeting with humanity. Did you hear me? One of the storylines we see in scripture is God's desire and his activity in meeting with humanity. Actually, he is a creative God, but Genesis 1 and 2 is far less about him putting on an artist's apron, getting some paintbrushes and making like stars and stuff. You with me? In the creative aspect. And it's much more about creating beings he can relate to. So the garden is not because he loves veg and fruit. That's, that's, not, that's not the point of, of Genesis 1 and 2. It's not that he, he just likes horticulture. And he was working on his new qualification. I mean, that's, that's not it. He, he created a space that is ideal for human flourishing, but it's also primed for him to meet with his creation. And there's too, there's too much for us to actually dive into that space. But we know Genesis chapter 3, that dream was marred. It was lost because we would rather be in charge than be with God. We would rather be in charge than be with God. 
And that's that, when you go, well, how can, how can one, one family, how can one couple mess it up for the rest of us? Well, because the truth is, if I was in that garden, I would have made the same decision. Because I'd rather be in charge than be with God too most days. Can I get a witness? Oh, am I the only one honest this morning? I'd rather be in charge most days, and that's what happened. So they, cho- they chose their own way, and because, of, because God's true nature as creator and ultimate ruler, he can't, he, he can't be in the same place when someone else is demanding rulership. So what it is, he had to create distance, but he wasn't done. So then he gives his people, Israel... I'm, I'm, I'm passing through a lot of history here, thousands and thousands of years of history... He gives Israel, he says, wait a second, I'm not done. I want, I want you to create a space where you and I can meet together. And he gives them a plan of a space that that can happen. Let's prime another environment. What's, what's he doing? He's saying, the garden's lost, let's create a building. The Old Testament calls it the temple. He now creates a space, we see this in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. You've probably heard the story. Solomon builds a temple. And God is so, it's almost like he was on the edge of his seat in heaven, like waiting on this thing to get finished. And he invades it. He invades it. And what, what the eyewitnesses record in Second Chronicles is that his presence was so real, it was a cloud. You couldn't see it. And people who had prepared their whole lives, their vocation was priests and servants in the temple, they could not continue their duties because the presence of God was so tangible. God wanted to meet with humans. Ultimately, we we screwed that up again. I don't have time to go into all of that. And God decided, okay, this idea of creating a physical space isn't working too well. I'm going to have to come myself. So Jesus comes, Jesus, God, comes, and then he says this in his journey. Do you remember when he quotes Isaiah? He says, he stands up in the middle of church one Sunday, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I, he's anointed me, and he's come to preach good news to the poor. And he continues on his mission. And we miss what's ultimately happening there. Jesus is saying, I'm the new temple. The Spirit of the Lord is, is upon me. John, when John baptizes Jesus, you see coming out of the sky the Spirit, the, the word says, like a dove. It's, we're seeing Second Chronicles chapter 5, the new temple. Jesus is now the meeting place between humanity and God. But Jesus isn't satisfied with that. And you wonder, why did Jesus, why did you leave? It was really nice when you were here. When you were sick, uh, you healed me. I mean, when I was sick, you healed me. Right? When I, there's lame people, you healed them. There's people who were, who were oppressed, darkness, depression, the demonic, you set them free. Why do you need to go? And Jesus' response, if I don't go, the helper can't come. The Holy Spirit can't come. What is he saying? If I don't go, I remain the only temple. But if I go, 
I'm going to give every single one of you the power and the ability and the access to be a walking meeting place with God yourself. Come on, that is worthy of applause right there. And in the end of all things, so Genesis starts with a garden, and it starts with a marriage, and it starts with a meeting with God. Revelation, chapter 21, 22, we see it ends with a marriage, and not a garden, but a city. A heavenly city. And what is God doing now? He's dwelling with, with all of humanity, and now it's not just you and I that are the dwelling place of God, but all of creation has been redeemed where he can live in perfect, unbroken fellowship with all of creation. He's bringing us back to Eden, but it's a better Eden because it's a city, so we don't have to sleep in tents. And he dwells with all of creation. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. I, I, I'm, I hate to disappoint you if your vision of, of, of the future, of eternity, is you sitting on a cloud with a little harp. <laughs> playing worship songs. That sounds terrible to me. I don't, I don't know why anybody would... God's, God's recreating heaven and earth. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It's, it's, it's all of creation and it's not just what it should have been in the beginning because God declared creation good in the beginning. It's better than it ever was and it, and it ever has been because of what's been lost and now redeemed. That's the storyline. That's the storyline of all creation. It's the storyline of your life. That's why suffering does not deny the reality of God. Suffering is often the greatest opportunity for God's redemptive heart to be seen. Otherwise, we cannot conclude that Jesus' life was blessed by God because he had a life that was marked by suffering. But it was also a, mark, a life that was marked by expressing the glory of God. Because through suffering, God showed his nature. So that's, that's the story of God's desires and actions in our life and in our world. Um, there's, there's a young adult in our um, congregation that came to follow Jesus um, since they have been a part of Ramp Church. And um, I've, we've, we've had conversations about, well, tell me about your experiences in coming to Ramp Church and, and what was that like? And... Um, I, in, in the early weeks, their experience, w w they enjoyed the word, the, the preaching part, um, which is, if you've heard me speak, it's kind of confusing, but I'm thankful for it. Um, but the worship kind of freaked them out a bit. And, um, and so I'm talking about worship today, but that, that, has anybody had that experience? You've kind of walked into the music section of what's going on and you're like, this is bizarre. And I don't know what kind of Kool-Aid they drank before they came in here, but please don't serve it to me. And if they start handing it out, I will run. I will get out of here. They're singing songs to I'm not sure what or where or who. And they sing the same song over and over for 15 minutes. 
People are dancing and jumping and lifting their hands. What is going on? <laughs> That's worship. Welcome to Ramp Church. Welcome to Ramp Church. Understanding worship is essential for our pursuit in creating a space here at Ramp Church for people to come meet with God. It's essential. Why? Because, well, A, we're in the middle of a storyline that God is writing where he's wanting to meet with humanity. So worship, historically, and in our life, Ramp Church, is an essential part of creating that atmosphere, that meeting space with him. And sometimes the fact that it's, that it's strange um, is okay. Can I just say that? And I'm, I'm a very, um, generally, a very rational kind of person. I would tend to think. My wife would probably disagree. Um, but so strange things, I, I don't just naturally lean to do strange things. But sometimes strange things are okay. Um, I love what the poet uh, Chris Jami said. Look at this. This is great. This isn't even a Christian poem, but I love this idea. A common mistake we make is that we look for God in places where we ourselves wish to find him. Yet even the physical reality, this is a complete failure. For example, if you lost your car keys, you wouldn't search where you want to search. You would search where you must search in order to find them. What if I told you God was hidden in things you don't always enjoy or understand? What if I told you that? I mean, just, just, just picture this. If you really believed, if you and I really believed there was a real God, like a real one, not just like stained glass window version, like a real God, would there be anything we could do or pay that would be worth holding back to find him? If there was a real God and you had an opportunity to meet him, there is nothing that would be worth holding back to find. What if you spent your entire life Praying and seeking for one moment in the presence of God. What if you bought a house with a spare bedroom? You created a space in that spare bedroom. That, and it, everything was primed for, for this meeting space. You knew it was going to come when you were 96 and a half years old. <laughs> and you stewarded that space your entire life for one moment. If he's real, it would be worth it. Because if he's real, everything changes as a result of that reality. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what he's trying to say here. We can't, we, we don't, we, we can't just, just demand that God show up in the way we want him to show up. He exists in a certain way, and it is our life's journey to seek him out wherever he can be found. Are you tracking with me? This is the start of the journey of a worshiper. It's essential for us to fulfill this vision as a community. This vision of creating a place for people to meet with God that we understand worship. So what is worship? 
what is worship? Let me, let me kind of open this up a bit. And I think this is going to, hey, I think what's going to do is actually demystify worship a bit so then that we can be intentional about where we're, where we're putting our, our focus and our attention. What is worship? This is what worship is to me. Worship is our response to what we value most. Worship is our response to the things we value most. Here's two just essential truths to understanding worship. These two truths. You worship something. You worship something. And your worship always finds expression somewhere. Just imagine you and I um, were alien beings. Um, I'm American, so that's probably not too, too far of a stretch there for you guys. Um, we're alien beings. We come to Earth, and we're, we're analyzing Earth, right? We're analyzing these Earth beings. And we're taking notes on what we see. We're just like, we have no paradigm for these Earth beings. Um, so we're taking notes. We're, we're looking at their everyday lives. We're, we're following them from month to month and year to year to year. It wouldn't take long for us to discover that earth beings don't just enjoy living life, they actually at times want to stop and make a big deal about certain things that happen in life. So every year we want to get together in a room and bake desserts and sing songs congratulating someone, you made it another year, way to go, <laughs> happy birthday. We're not just satisfied to live, we want to celebrate it, right? We're not just satisfied to watch films, we want to decide which one's the best film. And then we're going we're gonna to get dressed in really fancy clothes, and we're all going to get together in the same room, and we're going we're gonna to stand, walk down a red carpet, and have people take pictures of us in our fancy clothes. And then we're going to publish thousands of magazine pages with pictures of people wearing fancy clothes at an event that's, that's about deciding which movie is the best film of all the films that we've seen. Right? Then we're going to give them big gold objects. Are you seeing? We like to celebrate things. We like to express, I like that. We, we, sports is a great example, right? We, we so enjoy athletic ability that we pick the people who have the most athletic ability. We pay them millions and millions to compete in front of us. And sometimes we take clothes off and paint our bodies, the colors of the thing they're wearing. And I may be a 60-year-old man who's overweight, but I'm going to be shouting to the top of my lungs about how awesome those other people are down there competing against each other that have great athletic ability. Are you, are you seeing what I'm saying? You see where I'm going with this? This is from an alien's perspective. They're going, what is all of this about? There's something in us that likes to make a big deal about stuff. We celebrate it. Isn't it amazing that what happened in this room today feels so foreign compared to what happened in the Eddie had yesterday? Isn't, isn't, that, a, isn't that strange to anybody else? We come into this space and we go, gosh, that was weird. But we go into the Etihad with, well, I was going to say 70,000 people, but you guys know the Etihad doesn't have, 70,000 people don't show up the Etihad. All right, all right, all right, all right. Just make sure you're awake. Just make sure you're awake. Make sure you're awake. 
with 5,000 other people. <laughs> you show up to the Etihad, and people are acting bananas, going out of their mind, giving half their paycheck, tattooing the logo on their body. And if you have a tattoo of a, of a Premier League team, more power to you. Go for it, bro. Go for it. I'm just saying we are celebratory people. Can I just use a Bible word? We are worshiping people. We ascribe value to things and then we celebrate the thing we've just given value. That is worship. The thing that's important for us as believers, as Jesus followers, is the next question. Is what I've just ascribed value to really as valuable as I've just said it is? Because this is the next principle about worship. The question is not do I worship, but who or what do I worship? And is the thing I'm worshiping, is the thing I'm celebrating, is the thing that has my attention and my energy and my sacrifice, is that thing worthy of the attention and the energy and the sacrifice that I'm giving it. Some philosophers have said it like this. We as humans are meaning-making machines. We, we can't live life without ascribing meaning and worth to things. You do it all day long. The person who cut you off in traffic this morning, you're you have a conclusion about them based on the, the emblem on their car. Come on, let's be honest. Why? Because you've ascribed meaning to that emblem. And then you have, you have conclusions about who they are because they're, they're able to afford that emblem. So it's not about the physical car, it's about the meaning you've ascribed to it. Are you tracking? We're meaning-making machines. The question is not, do I worship? The question is, who or what do I worship? And this is the next thing I want to talk about. Who is the God that we're worshiping today? Because we're not in the Etihad. Maybe someday we will be. Come on, Ram Church. And it's going to be more full than 5,000. Maybe someday. But who is the God we're worshiping today? If you're a worshiping creature, if I'm a worshiping cre creature, if we ascribe worth to things, if we give energy and time and our money, we need, we need to realize today, who are we worshiping? I, I just love the song that, that we last sang, um, All the Saints and Elders. And if, if you're new to Christianity, first of all, I'm so glad you're here. I think this is the best place you could be on a Sunday morning, and you are welcome um, to continue your journey of faith here at Ramp Church. We'd love to have you around. Um, but maybe that, maybe that was confusing. You know, elder, what, what, saints and elders, that's some weird language. Maybe that's confusing if you're a Christian. You know, I don't, I don't really understand that. It comes from Revelation chapter 4. 
where John, who's an early follower of Jesus, he actually followed Jesus when he was a teenager. Um, scholars kind of differ on his exact age, but he could have been 14 years old. He could have been that young when he was, when he was traveling with Jesus. Well, most scholars believe he wrote, he wrote that uh, passage in Revelation 4 when he was about 90, which is pretty cool. He had been exiled because he was trying to worship Jesus and lead a, a worshiping community in the middle of the Roman Empire. That at that time, can I give you a little history? Yeah. All right, I just made the decision to do that, so let's do that. So the Roman Empire was being ruled by Emperor Domitian at that time. And he was not friendly to Christians. And the reason he wasn't friendly to Christians is not because they had religious persecution. Um, Rome was actually not too different than, than Manchester today. It was a very pluralistic society. They worshipped a lot of different things. It was because of, of their phrase and their stance, there's no king but King Jesus. It was actually political fear. It was not religious fear that, gave, that, that made the Roman emperor persecute Christians. So they were persecuting Christians. And John, church history tells us that the that they exiled John on the island of Patmos, which is just off of, of Asia Minor at that time, modern-day Turkey. Um, but before they did, they boiled him in a vat of oil. And then they put him on the Isle of Patmos. And in Revelation 1 through 4, we see these these amazing encounters with God that John had. You think God's not with you in your lowest moment? Think God's not with you when you've been ostracized from everything you've ever known? <laughs> when you're in the middle of suffering and when your physical body itself bears the scars of the life you've lived? God is there with you and John's decision was, I want to turn my heart heavenward. And he had, he had such insignificant encounters with God at the age 90, with burnt skin, exiled from his, his worshiping community, and he would have been in Ephesus before then, that we're still reading his words and the encounters he had with God. Revelation chapter 4, the encounter he had with God, um, a heavenly being shows up to him. Some pretty strange stuff, the book of Revelation. And and says, um, and, and John sees a door open to heaven. And the door says, come up here, come up now. I want to show you things that are going to happen, essentially. And he, John comes through the door. Great idea, John. And if an angel shows up to you and says, I want you to come through this door, just walk through it, okay? Don't ask <laughs> questions. Just walk through it. So he walks through, and he sees this vision of heaven. And that song that we sang is that vision of heaven. But you can also see in Ezekiel chapter 1, um, Isaiah chapter 6, write those three chapters down. Revelation 4, Ezekiel 1, Isaiah 6. Those are other heavenly visions that we have in, in the library of Scripture. And they describe the God who, um, who these people saw in the throne room. And it's weird. I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's trying to bring, bring language to something that's almost indescribable. And so who is this God we're worshiping? Um, Revelation 4 talks about these beings that are circling God that are constantly crying night and day. Remember the song we just sang? Day and night. They were constantly saying, holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that song, based on the, the, the revealed, um, uh, uh, just the, the environment of heaven in these passages, that song's being sung right now in heaven, declaring the, holy, the holiness of God, which is a word that means other, you're different, you're separate. And, and they're, not, they're not changed to God to sing this. The reality is that they are constantly seeing a different facet of who he is and never exhausting the, the, the fullness of, of his nature. So who is God? I love what Isaiah 57 says, 15. This is a verse I want to read. Thus, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. That's a lot. <laughs> whose name is holy. And here's, here's God. He's talking about himself now. I dwell in the high and holy place, but that's not the only place he dwells. Who's the God we're worshiping? That's what we're talking about right now. He is high and holy and other. But I also dwell with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to to revive the heart of the contrite. That's what that verse says. Who's the God we're worshiping? Not only is he high and holy, but he's also near. This is the revelation we get through the life of Jesus, is that he's not only separate and all-powerful and all-knowing, but he's also with us. Jesus, is, Jesus said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He is in the situation, in the day, in the moment with you. That is the God we're worshiping. The creator, the creator of heaven and earth, but he also knows your name and he's destined you. Why do we worship? That's the next thing I want to explore. So who do we worship? Why do we worship? Why do we worship? Well, we worship because God's worthy of it. Uh, who he is and what he's done. I just spoke about that. We speak about that every week, what he's done who he is, what he's done, his posture towards us, his desires towards us. But why, why do you and I worship? What does it do in our lives? What's it, what's it about? And um, the, the, the first reason I've already talked about, we're built for it, you're created for it. You can't help but worship. So again, it's not about, I'm not trying to convince you to worship. That's not the point of this message. You're already worshiping. I want you to review the, the true value of the thing you're already worshiping and then compare it to God. And ask, is the worship I'm giving worthy of the thing I'm giving it to? And is the one who's worthy of everything I have, is he getting what he's worthy of? Are you hearing me? That's my point in this message. So why do you and I worship? The first reason is you're, you're created to. You're built for it. We're worshiping people. The second reason though, and I want to I hit on this as briefly as I possibly can, is it changes us. It doesn't change God. He's, he's not insecure. He's not like, okay, whew, tough night, um, didn't sleep well. Let's see who's worshiping this morning because I need a self-esteem boost. Um, is that, he does not need like, uh, uh, like assurance. Uh, does that make sense? He's not getting up today and, and just wondering, man, am I really all powerful? Somebody please sing that to me. I'm confused. It's not him. He, he doesn't have self-esteem issues. He invites us into that journey because it changes us. You are changed by what you worship. 
You've got to hear that. Whatever you value most, you will shape your life around. You could value safety most. Financial safety, relational safety, safety in my house, safety in my job. I'm going to shape my life around it. My life will be based around creating safety. So I'm going to avoid harm. I'm going to avoid danger. I'm going to make sure I have all my ducks in a row. And then I have a contingency plan number one, contingency plan number two, contingency plan number three. If, if that's you, safety. For some of you, you value uh, image. And so my life is shaped around image. The thing that I portray to other people. Stacy and I were on holiday a couple years ago and um, we, we were checking into our Airbnb and we're asking the person, you know, like, so where's, you know, great restaurants? Any ideas on great restaurants? And so they told us some great spots to eat because basically what holiday means to Stacy and I is eating. That's what, that's, what, that's what holiday means to us. So they said, they described a restaurant to us and then they said this, it's the restaurant where people like to be seen. I was like, okay. It's the place people go because they want to be seen. What is that? You've built your life around being seen. Like, I don't even care about the food. I don't even care if, it's, if, if I like the environment. I just hope someone sees me while I'm eating. You laugh, but we do that. We do that. We do that. Your life is built around something. And this is the thing you have to understand about your worshiping life is this principle. Your most transformative decision is the choice of what to value most. Everything else in your life flows from that. Your most transformative decision is to decide what is most valuable to you because everything else will find a place behind that decision. A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. Why? Because everything in your life flows from that reality. Everything. It could be safety, image, relationships, perfection, whatever. A job, a career, money, finances, whatever it is. And whatever that thing is that you value, you look hard enough, you're worshiping it. You're not, you may not be writing songs <laughs> to it. You would be if you were a songwriter. But you're doing something else to it because maybe you're not a songwriter. And that's getting to the next step in this. What does worship look like? Because you've ascribed worth to something, whether it's worthy or not, Something in your life you value most and your life is being shaped around that. And then your activity of worship looks like something. And the first activity of worship that all of us have, all of us do this for the thing we worship is this. We sacrifice for it. We sacrifice for it. Worship always costs you something. Attention, energy, time, money, always, always, always. If you want to find what you worship and you're having trouble, 
because maybe that's maybe a bit too esoteric or, or just abstract of an idea. Trace, where is your treasure going? Because Jesus, is, Jesus himself said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is. Where's your time going? Where's your energy going? If you were to budget your days and your times, where's it going? Take, an in, take inventory. That's what you value most. That's what you worship. Because you're sacrificing for it. There's a biblical thread of sacrifice pertaining to worship all through the Bible. And it's because God's trying to really connect the dots for us. If, if we lived, if you and I lived 3,000 years ago and we were miraculously changed into Jewish people, okay, just track with me here. I know this is a, okay, and then we were moved a couple thousand miles away to the Middle East. We would be sacrificing animals to worship because that was their paradigm. And it doesn't mean you just go to Asda and buy an animal. Can I have that animal? Yeah. No, you raise it its whole life. Does that make sense? You raise this animal, you carry it to Jerusalem, and then you sacrifice it. There's this idea in the ancient mentality that worship is always tied to sacrifice. It's just the way they understood it. And I think, I think maybe they were a bit more, um, they were a bit more onto something than we realize, yeah, than we give them credit for. Because we're sacrificing things, we're just never acknowledging that we're sacrificing. I'm giving my life. It, I'm giving my life for something that, at the end of this, I may go, "Ugh, that was that was a dumb decision." <laughs> yeah. Too late then. You with me? Yeah. We, it's just not as clear to us what we're doing. But I love Romans twelve one. So, what do we sacrifice as Jesus followers? Romans, uh, Paul in Romans tells us, "Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you." I love the strength of that statement. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Whoa, whoa. I thought Christianity was a spiritual reality. He said, get your hands off my body, God. That is off limits. Are you with me? I thought this was like a decision, a prayer I prayed, and then like a prayer I prayed, and I can be like in heaven forever and then do whatever I want to do. No. That's not the Jesus following journey. It isn't like a prayer. That's not like the ticket to get into heaven. You with me? It's about following Jesus. And Paul's talking about one of the things that looks like. Uh, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Does that, mean you. does that mean you ask your friend to kill you as a sacrifice? No. Don't go there. Let them be a living, okay? Living and holy sacrifice. The kind God will find acceptable, this is truly the way to worship him. What does it look like to live a life of sacrifice? I'm, I'm viewing my life and I'm a living sacrifice. It's been said before and I love this. It's almost become an adage in the church that, um, that you can't offend a dead man. A dead man can't be envious. A dead man's not jockeying for position. Are you with me? I'm a living sacrifice. My life has already been given to God. I'm not, I don't plan on taking it back. Does that make sense? That's a life lived in worship. I love this, this idea of sacrifice. We see it in, um, in David's life, 2 Samuel 24, 24. This is beautiful. Um, David's looking to sacrifice to God. He wants to worship 
to God. And someone in his kingdom says, hey, King Dave, I'll give you some property so you can worship on. And this, this was David's response. No, I insist on paying you for this land. Because I'm not going to sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Why? Because David knew as soon as it becomes free, it doesn't become worship. As soon as it becomes free, it's not worship anymore. It's, we, we know this. It, love is the same way. Well, how's love proven? In the cost. That's how love is proven. In the cost. Sacrifice is part of worship. Sacrifice is part of worship. It's part of love. They can't be separated. Jesus gave his life for us in sacrifice because he loved us. What does worship look like? It looks like sacrifice. Do you know what I think, though, stands often in the way of our sacrificial life? It's actually something quite, that could, could be seen as quite petty. And it's, it's opinions, other people's opinions, my opinion, all these things. So I want to read you Paul's response to that, that life lived trapped by people's opinions. This is what Paul says about himself. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you. <laughs> Don't you love that confidence? Like, I wish I could say that, like, um, I, I really don't care what you think about me. <laughs> I'm just going to live my life. Actually, I mean, that's kind of the mantra of the postmodern age, isn't it? Like, I don't, I don't really give a rip, right? I'm just going to live how I want to live, you know? I'm going to be me, you be you, no one can tell me what to do, right? Um, that's what Paul's saying here. He, he had that kind of confidence. I don't even, uh, might be valued by you or by any human, Paul says. But he takes it where we don't take it. This is important for understanding worship. He says, I don't care about what you think. And then he says this, I don't even trust my own judgment. I don't trust anyone else's opinion, but I don't even trust my own opinion on me. Whoa, Paul, okay. I thought the ultimate value was to be true to you. Isn't that the ultimate value in life? That's what the world around us tells us. If you're not true to you, that is the ultimate cultural sin. As soon as you deny any, yourself any desire, anything you want, any part of what I think is my identity, as soon as, I, as soon as I do denial, I have committed the ultimate unpardonable cultural sin. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. We have, our society now is almost built and carved around letting people be whoever it is they want to be. Yeah. Are you with me? And anything against that, I mean, this is borderline hate speech right now. Are you with me? Do not, do not take this out of context and put it on YouTube, please. But Paul, Paul doesn't just say, I don't care about your thought, thoughts. I don't care about my own opinion on me. Well, you got to care about something because we're built to judge what's right and wrong, right? There's, we have some sort of analysis. He goes on. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. Oh, that just stepped on some toes. Who judges him then? Paul says, it is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Oh, that's really nice. That's my favorite verse. So here's my question to you. Here's my question to you. Whose opinion guides your worship? Whose opinion guides your worship? 
I mean, we can, let's, just, let's just take this as a little microcosm of your life, what happened this morning in this space. Like, is there something happening in your heart in, as affection to God, but like, I can't even lift my hand, I want to express it, I can't lift my hand because I'm worried about what someone else thinks. Like, I can't even, I can't even be true to me because I'm consumed with, other, uh, what, with what other people think about me. Whose opinion guides your worship? But maybe you've gotten free from that. Maybe you don't want to go there because, well, that's just not who I am. No, you, no that's, that's not who I am. I don't worship that way. I'm more dignified than that. It's funny the things we tell ourselves in our mind that we would never tell somebody else. Like, I'm the coolest person here. They don't even know it. <laughs> And if I worship, I would no longer be the coolest person here. I mean, I don't know, whatever we tell ourselves about this. What, if that's you, you're consumed with your own opinion. You've gotten over other people's opinions, you're consumed with your own. You're not done yet. Others' opinions, my opinion, this is where you rest. This is where you live. This is where life is. I, lo- I love what Liam Parker says. I just saw this on his Instagram the other day. It's, it's amazing. He's, he's, a, he's a pastor. Down south. You know it's an idol when you have to check with it before saying yes to God. I had no words for him when I direct messaged him. I just sent fire emojis. That's the only thing I responded to him with. Fire emojis. You know it's an idol when you have to check with it before saying yes to God. Hey, I would say yes to you about that thing you asked me about, God, but let me check with... My idol first. Yeah, that's a good silence right there, folks. So, moving right along, because no one wants to stay there very long. um, Sacrifice is the first way we worship. What's another way we worship? Service. 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 We always find ways to serve what is most valuable to us, always. But how does this look like in the following Jesus life? First Peter um, chapter four tells us, uh, the apostle Peter wrote this, God's given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do, I just love that. Just in case your gift wasn't specifically mentioned, everything you do, the walking the dog life, the cleaning the house life, are you with me? The budgeting life, the paying bills life, everything you do will bring glory to God. Do you know when you have a heart posture that, that, is, that is set on, 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 on making God the most valuable thing in your life? Everything you do becomes worship. Because my life is now oriented around him. I can't help but orbit. He's in the middle of my solar system. And so even if I'm, and no matter what I'm doing as I'm orbiting, he's still at the center. Are you with me? Are you going to get this point or do I have to get dizzy and fall over first? Everything in my life is, is around him, is centered around him. He's the center of everything. And everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. When what? When you're serving the thing you value most, and his name is Yahweh God. 
This principle, you need to get it. You need to understand it. This next principle. We will always find ways to serve what we find most valuable. And it's funny because people, people they, they, sometimes they get all bent out of shape when we talk about things like money in church. Oh, it, you know, and I, I, to be honest, I don't like to talk about money, but why do we get bent out of shape when this is the truth about it? This next slide. Your God always has your money. Your God always has your attention. Your God always has your service. Your God always has your time. Your God always has your energy. <laughs> That's not a new thing. What you saw today, the exuberance you saw today, the celebration you saw today, that's not new. What's new for you and for me sometimes is the object of the celebration, not the size. I promise if you were clubbing on Friday night or Saturday night in Manchester, I hope you weren't. <laughs> but you would have saw some greater extravagance than we showed this morning. If one of y'all starts breaking out glow sticks during worship, I, am, I don't know what's going to happen in here, okay? It, why, that's, that's greater extravagance than we saw in this room. It's, the, the problem we have is not the extravagance. It's the object of the extravagance. But when you see God rightly, the extravagance makes sense. It actually seems like the only appropriate response. Your God always has your money. The question is, is the God you're giving to worth your money? Is he worth your worship? Is he worth your time? Is he worth your energy? Sacrifice, service, and because I like the letter S, your God always has your sound. There's a sound in you. A sound of praise. A sound of exuberance. He always has your praise. When you're all by yourself and with no, no pressure, what's, what, what is your mind occupied with? That's your sound. When you, don't have, when you don't have a topic to talk through with a close friend, what do you talk about? That's your sound. You with me? What's it saying? What's the lyrics to that song? Let's look at Psalms 150. I hope this, is, I hope this describes a ramp worship service. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know, the English language is, is limited in, in this translation. Most of our English translations are really quite well done and trustworthy. But the Hebrew language, because it's a culture that's built around worshiping God, they have seven, seven different words for praise. And each of them has a different nuance. Some of them are lifting their hands. Some of them are lying prostrate. Some of them are yelling, shouting. This word right here in Psalms 150 
is the word halal. It means to shine, to make a show, to boast, to be clamorously foolish. To rave. Break out the glow sticks. <laughs> to celebrate. At the end of all of this ramp, church, I hope that we have word. I hope that you're known as a people of the word in this city, in this nation, in the global movement of God. I hope you're known as a people of, of the miraculous, seeing miracles break out. I hope you're known as a people who live in community, relationship with one another, that you're known, that you're transparent, you're vulnerable, you're journeying in life. But if I could pick like a number one, I hope you're a worshiping people. A people that, that at the end of the day, we live clamorously foolish in praise and worship to Jesus. We live John 12, what Claire read earlier. A year's wages spent on Jesus in just a few moments. Why? Because in the middle of a world that gives so much for so many lesser things, what if we were a people who gave it all for the only thing that's really worthy of what we have? Can you see that, Ram Church? Just stand on your feet.